0: Good Mornings, I'm Chris Oaks and coming up today, Ohio Northern University constitutional law professor Dr. Scott Gerber will join us once again. We'll discuss the latest Supreme Court term which is not likely to be as headline grabbing as the last one but significant nonetheless. Also this morning, with Halloween on the way, it's a season full of spooky October happenings at the Hancock Historical Museum. Sarah Sisser will tell us what's happening. And conservative commentator, historian, and best-selling author Bill O'Reilly joins us once again to talk about his latest book, Killing the Legends, Elvis, John Lennon, Muhammad Ali, and the Lethal Danger of Celebrity. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition. For Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. Today is Do Something Nice Day. That is awesome. I just, I love that. There are other things too, but uh, do something nice day today. Also, National Get Funky Day. <laughs> Get Funky. Uh, get funky with someone. Do something nice. That, that would be a nice thing to do. Get funky with someone today. National Storytelling Day. World Teachers Day. Global James Bond Day. <laughs> if you've ever dreamed of being a super spy, today's your day. Global James Bond Day. Everybody today should uh, wear a tuxedo and... Uh, Order uh, martinis shaken, not served. Um, National Kiss a Wrestler Day today as well. So, man, there are some prolific reasons to celebrate today. There? Is, uh quite the list, <laughs> as it turns out. So uh, this is good news. I want to make sure that we start with this because it is it is big news. Post-pandemic, more evidence that life is pretty much returning to normal after the long pandemic pause. Uh Trader Joe's has announced that it will once again offer free in-store food samples. Now I know we don't have any uh, Trader Joe's around here, right? I I don't I'm not aware of any that are uh, but I that's a, a good sign because if Trader Joe's is doing it then uh other Grocery store chains will as well. But Trader Joe's famous for their uh, free samples uh, when you shop at uh, their stores. Uh, They also used to offer up little cups of coffee that uh, shoppers just absolutely loved. And that will not be available, but there will be single serve snacks and some stores will relaunch food making demos, which is another thing that Trader Joe's was famous for. So uh, that is big news. If uh, Trader Joe's is bringing back the uh, samples, then it can't be long before everyone else will follow. You remember when food samples used to be the thing? I mean, you'd go. I can remember going grocery shopping with my family, you know, with my parents when I was when I was little, and uh, we'd go specifically for the samples. <laughs> you wouldn't have to go out to eat on a Saturday, you know, uh on a saturday afternoon you just go grocery shopping and it'd be the same thing um they say it's not just to promote new products either according to one industry expert interviewed by cnn food samples help create undisciplined shoppers who are more likely to linger in the store and make impulse buys so You're likely to spend more and not just on the things that you are sampling, as it turns out. So there's there's always a uh, uh, there's always a motivating factor, right? There's always an ulterior motive uh, for that. But uh, I thought it was uh, interesting nonetheless. So good to see the free samples back at the stores kind of interesting a, a new study speaking of food new study to be presented at the cardiac society congress in Dubai this week shows that eating well it's long been known that there are certain foods that are good for you there are certain foods that are not good for your health but this might be a surprise this new study shows that eating white rice, pasta, and other refined carbohydrates is just as damaging to your heart as eating junk food. So if you thought that you were doing a good thing by sticking to things like white rice and pasta, forget about it. You may as well be uh, eating junk food. Researchers compared the diets of more than 1,100 healthy patients to more than 1300 patients who suffer from coronary artery disease and those who indulged in foods like pasta and white rice were more closely associated with a higher risk of the disease They'll make you m- more likely not does it not that it makes you not that it doesn't make you less likely to suffer from heart disease but you actually more likely suffer from heart disease um the uh, let's say, coronary artery disease affects more than 20 million people in the U.S and takes the life of one person every 34 seconds in this country, according to the CDC. And uh, of course, what we're talking about is refined, refined carbohydrates, refined grains that they say have been stripped of fiber, unlike brown rice, for example, which spikes blood sugar levels shortly after one consumes them. Essentially, this mimics the effect junk food has on the body and makes people hungry for more, uh, more similar foods. Uh, The lead researcher in this uh, uh, study, again, to be presented at the Cardiac Society Congress in Dubai this week, says a diet that involves eating large amounts of unhealthy and refined grains can be viewed as similar to a diet that is high in unhealthy sugars and oils. He says, "As as more studies show an increase in the consumption of refined grains worldwide... As well as the impact on overall health, it's important that we find ways to encourage and educate people about the benefits of eating whole grains instead. I knew it. I knew they were going to make a suggestion as to what we could eat instead that would be healthier. <laughs> Why can't you just say this is not healthy for you and leave it at that? And let us uh, wallow in our, uh, in our unhealthiness. It's uh, much tastier. But anyway... Speaking of foods, you know how foodies these days uh seem to you know these like charcuterie boards and the um oh they have these uh spreads for everything from desserts to to coffees, you know like a sunday bar for desserts or you've got a coffee bar. Um you know just char- charcuterie boards and you know all of that. Well, now the latest trendy thing among foodies, butter boards, butter boards. It says it is a more interesting way to serve bread and butter. (laughs) Uh, Now, the way you make this is uh, you have a butter spread mixed with a combination of herbs and other toppings for your bread and butter. (laughs) Toppings for your bread and butter. Uh, First, they say, if you want to uh, lay out a butter board at your next uh, soiree, use high-quality grass-fed butter. Most content creators use unsalted butter so they can add their own salty flakes to one's taste. Place parchment paper on the board and put your butter on top for easy cleanup. Next, add your favorite flavors. Uh, Some people use spicy seasoning, uh, like uh, chili uh, or... Add peanuts for a crunch. And uh, others will go sweet with roasted butternut squash and honey butter. And uh, then they say you can use the leftovers to season your next meals. Uh, so none of it goes to waste. But I saw that, and apparently this is a trend, and I'm thinking to myself, have we reached critical mass on the uh, trendy foodie type things where we have to actually create a bread and butter bar? <laughs> I mean, it's bread and butter. It's pretty basic there. Do you? Really, we really need something? I don't know. But again, if you want to be trendy at your next soiree with the holidays coming, set out a butter board. Weird. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, trendy things, uh, you know, uh, they talk about uh, how we need to drive less to save the planet and all of that. Uh, Planned communities now are latching on to the idea of allowing people to get around and conduct their everyday life and business without having to drive everywhere. I think most communities that we think of today, most common communities... We do a lot of driving because we have to. Uh, but uh, urban planners now are creating entire communities where you don't have to drive. For example, a new planned community in Kuwait uh, called X Zero, X Z E R O, X Zero, will be 100% walkable. 100%. They say you will not need a car, ever. Uh, they are aiming to create a lifestyle completely in balance with nature and be home to 100,000 people. I thought this was kind of interesting. It says to be home to 100,000 people and provide 30,000 jobs. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that leaves 70,000 people that uh, can't find a job. <laughs> but I guess, you know, you'll have children and retirees and, and all of that. So I guess it'll all work out anyway. It is a city shaped like a flower that will have a central area with hubs for medical facilities and schools. Residents will be able to walk to the amenities they need within minutes. Everything will be walkable within minutes. The creation of sustainable cities that follow the highest standards of living with the lowest impact on the environment is no longer a choice. It has become a necessity, says the CEO of the... um, of the urban planning organizations planning this, uh, this walkable city shaped like a flower with everything kind of centrally located. You can walk within minutes. I don't know. Would you be, would you be interested in something like that? Where you never, uh, have to have a car It's completely 100% walkable. I, I don't know. Uh, so there you go. It's, uh, just the, uh, latest thing. Thought it was kind of interesting. And how about this? This may be the best news of the day. So definitely one of the first things that you need to know this morning. It turns out, are you ready for this? I hope you're sitting down. It turns out that Viagra can give you a whole different kind of boost in your life. Um, (laughs) Bear with me here. Researchers in the UK have tested the ED drug Viagra and has found that it can improve how patients respond to chemotherapy. Participants in the study had esophageal cancer, but doctors are hopeful that the effects would uh, be similar with other forms of cancer. They were looking specifically at esophageal cancer, but they uh, are hopeful that it would uh, apply to other forms of the disease as well. Uh, viagra works you see by making involuntary muscles relax which increases blood flow to uh, certain areas according to this study the relaxing effect also impacts cancer fibroblasts which are the things that help cancers grow if it relaxes those the cancers won't grow thus uh chemotherapy will be more effective. Um, Dr. Sam Godfrey says the uh, medication effectively knocks down the scaffolding that cancers are built with. Uh, says knocking down that scaffolding is one of the many ways that we could use to treat cancer more effectively in the future. How about that? That's pretty cool. Uh, so who knew? <clears> hmm. <throat> Wonders never cease. Miracles of Viagra (laughs) have benefit you in any number of ways. There you go. uh, Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started.
1: WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected again today with a high of 74. Just a few clouds tonight, low of 49. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration has awarded a $4 million grant to the Hancock County Alcohol, Drug Addiction and Mental Health Services Board, (ADAMS) to improve the mental wellness of children and youth in Hancock County. Scott Lammers with Family Resource Center tells WTOL 11 will help everybody work together for children and youth in the county. It could be child
2: protective services or job and family services. It can be school. It can be counselors.
1: One of just six system of care grants awarded nationally, the hancock Adams System of Care Project will build on the work started four years ago when the first round of funding was awarded to Hancock County. Get more on the website. Ohio lawmakers won't return to the statehouse until mid-November, and when they do, ONN's Kevin Landers is reporting that there are no plans to introduce legislation to ban the travel of women seeking abortions out of state. Because of
3: Ohio's abortion ban, the closest options for women are in three states. Michigan has found the abortion ban unconstitutional. Indiana recently passed a ban with some exceptions. The other option is Pennsylvania, although there are limits at 24 weeks gestational age. Now as for Ohio's abortion ban, attorneys for abortion clinics and the state will meet this Friday to determine whether a judge should make the ban indefinite.
1: Onan's Kevin Landers reporting. Hancock Public Health and the Marion Township Trustees are partnering to offer the community a chance to get their flu shot without even getting out of their vehicle. The drive through flu shot clinic will be held on Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Marion Township House along State Route 568, a little east of Findlay. Get more details on the website. There's a scandal involving a fishing tournament on Lake Erie. The two original winners of a fishing tournament are under suspicion of cheating after weights were found
0: inside of their fish. Jason Fisher, the tournament director of the Lake Erie Walleye Trail, released
1: a statement saying changes will be made and new weighing rules will be in place so that this type of fraud never happens again. ONN's Laura Queso reporting. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Denchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: Our cover story this morning, conservative commentator, historian, and best-selling author Bill O'Reilly is out with his latest title in the Killing series. It is Killing the Legends, the Lethal Danger of Celebrity. Bill O'Reilly, thanks once again for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, This one is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, All of the books uh, in the Killing series are uh, fascinating uh, in their own right. But I'm, I'm curious, the inspiration behind this particular topic, Killing the Legends.
3: Well, I'm a historian that looks at, uh, looks at the country, Chris, uh, in a way that's different than most others. So we have two historical tracks. We have the presidential political mm-hmm. war track, and we've done a lot of killing books on those. right? And then we have the cultural track, how we all live today. And how did that happen? And the three men that I spotlight in Killing the Legends A Lethal, Dangerous Celebrity are Elvis, John Lennon, and Muhammad Ali, all three. Changed American culture. Well, uh, and that- just a quick example. Um, 1950s, post-World War II, Dwight Eisenhower president, we're all the same. Conformity everywhere. Mm-hmm. In it's space of six minutes on the Ed Sullivan Show, the most powerful entertainment show in the world, Time, a teenager from Mississippi blows up the entire culture and here comes rock and roll rebellion. Yeah. Well, one guy and, did it.
0: Yeah. Well, and that was the other uh, the other question, why those particular legends because I'm thinking you could just as easily have uh, chosen Marilyn Monroe and James Dean and John Belushi. So
3: No, because they didn't have that kind of impact that the uh titans had i call them the titans Mm -hmm. so marilyn monroe yeah i mean fame killed her john belushi fame killed Mm him no doubt and i got a list uh, of hundreds of others hundreds yeah but they did not change how americans lived at all Mm -hmm. so the beatles come in 64 from 64 to 69 sex drugs rock and roll right and we still have that now Mm -hmm. and the spear point was the Beatles, Magical Mystery Tour, Sgt. Pepper. They were the spear point that drove that culture into the USA. And then Muhammad Ali, when he refused to be inducted into the armed forces, dissent to a level never before seen, And that led to all the turbulence in the Vietnam War. And then he also was a contributor to the Civil Rights Movement. Hmm. So these guys, I mean, people don't understand the impact that all three of them had. But here's another thing that nobody understands, unless you read the book, is that that impact, that fame, killed them
0: and we've seen again like you said we've seen that examples of that lethal danger of celebrity as the tub, uh, subtitle says uh it, it play itself out in in any number of cases with uh, celebrities uh in in all uh, areas of entertainment and sport and so on and so forth uh, was the was the the lethal danger in this case for each of these individuals unique in the in its own right
3: well no i wouldn't say it's unique um if you are a celebrity that is not a natural condition for a human being mm -hmm. so you are scrutinized you are treated differently uh, your personal life changes, your uh, spouses, your children, your parents, everything changes. And in America, it's a blood sport now. And this extends to politics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't, you're not a person anymore. If you're famous, you're a thing, a commodity. And you can be abused, you can be exploited, you can be mocked, you can, all of that, and and nobody's going to feel. Oh, well, I feel sorry for him or right. her. Sure. They're rich, yeah, or they're powerful. And then the celebrities themselves, they some of them, a very few, know how to can somehow handle it, but most cannot. Even the Kennedy family, mm-hmm. and they were trained by their father Joseph Kennedy to become famous and powerful. Well, they that, had a very hard time handling yeah. that fame.
0: Well, that, that actually uh, then leads to the question, why is it that some celebrities uh, seem to to fare better uh, with the uh, trappings of fame than do others?
3: Well, it's a, a lot of it is how intelligent you are. Presley and Lennon and Ali were intelligent, but they were not well-educated and they did not have a support system. Mm. They yeah. gave away their autonomy to others, and the others betrayed them. Mm-hmm. But if you have some kind of self-awareness, and you can almost see, Oprah's is a, a good example of this. So Oprah Winfrey didn't have a support system, uh, wasn't that well-educated, but very smart. And then when she became mega-famous, she basically withdrew. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the only path she had. Yeah. So you couldn 't get to oprah she uh, nobody knew who she was she She bought all these mansions and they were not accessible and Her uh, business was run by her and a couple of others um, in a way that really nobody knew what they were doing and and she was able not to blow up at least in public we don 't know what the private situation is with her sure um, well, with that's any celebrity a good example for them, of somebody who calculated look, I can't operate like a normal person, so I'm not even going to try.
0: It it is also interesting that in these three legends that you profile in the book, Elvis, John Lennon, Muhammad Ali, uh, each of them uh, met their demise in different ways. Uh, Elvis, uh, obviously, uh, drug abuse. Uh, John Lennon assassinated. And Muhammad Ali, uh, the effects, the long-term medical effects of uh, very brutal sport. Is that significant uh, in, in... in also profiling these three, is that they uh, ultimately met their demise in different ways, but it all kind of uh, came back to that uh, culture of celebrity?
3: Well, Elvis wanted to check out was Self-Destructive. I mean, if you look at the 1968 NBC comeback special, anybody can Google it, Chris – I mean, there's a guy in his prime. I mean, he's tremendously talented, Mm -hmm. so he has it together. Ten years later, it's not the same person. He had to see it. Were there no mirrors in Graceland? He had to see what was going on. He didn't know. He didn't You know. He was, look, people give up. He gave up. He essentially killed himself. Mm -hmm. Lennon did almost the same thing. Uh, Withdrew completely after he met Yoko Ono, becomes a heroin addict. That's what brought up, broke up the Beatles, mm-hmm. his hard drug use. I mean, that's unbelievable. The guy's got everything, and this is what you do? Yeah. Now, he, he kicked it, but that's another self-destructive act. Ali, a little bit different. Ali was uh, held hostage by the Nation of Islam, his own choice. And they said, hey, we don't care how much you're getting beaten up, and some of the finest writing I've ever done in my career is setting up the fight between Ali and Joe Frazier in the Philippines, where mm-hmm. Ali almost died. Yeah. And the doctor said, you can't fight for a year. Four months later, guess who's back in the ring?
0: Yeah. With respect to that, how was the, the, the research uh, it, for this book, uh, again, as compared to any number of the other books uh, in the series, must have been really fascinating because, uh, again, it's a, a whole different uh, type of individual or individuals that you're profiling in this book.
3: Well, all all twelve killing books are researched, I think, uh by Martin Dugard. I think it's the best research you'll ever see. And that's the arduous part of the book. Yeah. Um the storytelling I do and uh you know, I have a talent to do it and but to find things that nobody everybody thinks they know Oh, I know all about Elvis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, oh, yeah, oh yeah? Yeah. Well, when you read this <laughs> and I've gotten you know Scores of letters saying I thought I knew, but I didn't. Yeah, and because it's not visible, and in reporters and historians don't have access to a lot of this stuff. Somebody said to me, and this is an interesting question. Well, did you interview Priscilla Presley, Elvis's wife, ex-wife? I said, No. Why would I do that? She's going to tell me things through her prism. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I, that doesn't do me any good at all. Mm-hmm. I had to do primary source stuff. I gotta go to the medics that were in the hospital when they brought them in. That's where I gotta go. Oh, I can't go to Priscilla or the Memphis Mafia.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that tell me what
3: yeah, I that's need to know. Part of the, part of but the that's problem. But that's what most people do. Yeah. That's where they get their information. And I call it the People Magazine history.
0: Mm-hmm. No.
3: Um, and that's why these books are the most successful nonfiction book series of all time, the Killing Books.
0: Indeed. And uh, I, I'm thinking it's getting to the point where we don't call it a series. We call it an encyclopedia, the Killing Encyclopedia now, uh, the way the way this is. It's just a fascinating uh, entry in a fascinating series, Killing the Legends, Elvis. John Lennon, Muhammad Ali, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. Uh, Bill O'Reilly with us once again. We've got a link up on our webpage for more about the book. Bill, thanks very much for uh, taking the time and uh, certainly continued success.
3: I really appreciate it, Chris. Stay strong.
0: So joining us once again this morning, Dr. Scott Gerber, professor at the Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law, associated scholar at the Brown University Political Theory Project. Talk a little bit more about the uh, subject we touched on yesterday on the program, that being, of course, the Supreme Court's new term got underway this week, first Monday in October, and uh, all of that. Uh, obviously not as likely, uh, not likely to be as headline grabbing as the last uh, term, but significant nonetheless, as it always is. And uh, Scott, as, as, again, as we were talking about yesterday, it'd be hard to top uh, the last session with the uh, reversal of Roe v. Wade and uh, all of that. But uh, Supreme Court's uh, always uh, looking at some very significant cases. The The only one that I am personally familiar with is uh, one of the first ones they will be looking at, which could determine the uh, future of the Clean Water Act, which the EPA has uh, used for many years uh, as maybe their single biggest tool to protect uh, drinking water quality and, and so on. So that'll be one of the first cases, if not the very first case, of the, the, that the court will hear arguments on.
2: Yeah, and that one's going to turn on uh, how broadly to uh, uh, con- uh, define the word water. So uh, the conservatives seem to want Uh, Water that Congress can regulate to flow into larger bodies of water, Mm -hmm. whereas the environmentalists want uh, unattached kind of wetlands to also be uh, regulable by the the government because of the impact they assert it has over the uh, environment broadly conceived. So it's all going to turn on what water means.
0: The We were talking about this uh, a little bit last week uh, for the 50th. And this month is the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act. Could this uh, end up uh, gutting that act completely or just adding some guardrails uh, to it?
2: I think the latter. Um, but as we saw uh, before last term with the West Virginia versus EPA case that you and I discussed at the time, you know, these are all about the environment and the climate and the conservative court seems to be wanting to uh, be more hands-off and let the free market uh, control that kind of thing rather than the government regulate it.
0: As uh, as I mentioned, that is the only uh, case that I uh, am real familiar with, so I'll uh, just throw it to you. What are some of the other uh, cases that the Supreme Court is going to take up that you see as the most significant? What are some of the issues at play? What are the ones you're going to have uh, your uh, eye on the most?
2: Okay, well, I'll start with one that uh, impacts what I do for a living, and that is... <laughs> The court will uh, re-examine whether uh, colleges and universities can take race into account in uh, student admissions decisions. And Mm. there's a case out of Harvard, which is a private university and therefore regulated by statute because it receives federal money. And then there's a case, uh, University of North Carolina, which is a state uh, university and therefore is constrained by the statute, but also by the Equal Protection Clause. And most uh, court watchers are are confident that the court is going to overrule its decisions that that currently say that college and universities are allowed to take the race of an applicant into account as one factor. They can't use it too heavy-handedly, but as one factor. But most people say the court's going to go the colorblind constitutionalism route and say you can't take it into account at all. So, so that's uh, one. So
0: to clarify, uh, they're uh, not saying that. Uh, and again, this is sort of uh, like the uh, ballot issues that we were talking uh, yesterday. Uh, an important distinction: saying the the court could say that you cannot at all take the take race into account, versus uh, that you don't have to take race into account. There's a. Uh, what seemingly minor uh, distinction there could be significant.
2: No, they're going to go from you're allowed to to you're not allowed You're not to. allowed okay. to, yeah. Right, I'll give you the classic example from up the road. The the famous University of Michigan cases, mm-hmm. the court in that case said you're allowed to take it into account. and then the, But you don't have to. If the university wants to, it's allowed to. It doesn't have to do it. But then the people of Michigan a number of years ago amended the state constitution that said you're not allowed to. And so sure. what the U.S. Supreme Court is probably going to do is do what the people of Michigan did through their state constitutional amendment process and just say as a matter of Supreme Court doctrine, you're not allowed to.
0: Hmm. So uh, moving from you have to, to you can, to you cannot, uh, is uh, where we're uh, moving on this most likely. What are some of the other uh, uh, cases that you'd be uh, watching in this term?
2: Yeah, here's another one. Uh, uh, Moore versus Harper. And I'm going to quote uh, an article from The Atlantic by a retired uh, Court of Appeals Judge Michael Ludig, who was on the shortlist for the Supreme Court under Bush 2. He said, Um, the Supreme Court will decide before next summer the most important case for American democracy in the the almost two and a half centuries since America's founding. So that's a major case. Hmm. And so, so what's at issue in that case is a doctrine of constitutional interpretation known as, quote, the independent state legislature doctrine. And if the court concludes that there is such a doctrine, it would confer on state legislatures plenary, exclusive, and judicially unreviewable power both to redraw congressional districts for federal elections and to appoint state electors uh, who cast the votes for the president and vice president of the United States. And so recall that President Trump uh, wanted state legislatures to send to the Congress independent uh, uh bat, you know, uh, electors, yeah, a, right. And uh, under if if they decide this case in the way that Judge Ludig is afraid they will, uh, Trump could have gotten away with that, hmm. right? Because the case that brought it to the court was the North Carolina Supreme Court said that the uh, North Carolina legislature's uh, redistricting plan was unconstitutional. Um, and uh, so the, the, those folks in the Republican Party, North Carolina, they've appealed that and they're invoking this rule that says they decide only the legislature decides uh, what, uh, you know, who the electors are or how the maps are drawn. And there is some textual support in the Constitution uh, for the argument.
0: So that would give state legislatures full autonomy to basically um determine the outcome of the election however they see fit. Right. So that's a big one. Um, What what is the likelihood that they that they go that far? I mean, is there is there any middle I mean, it does seem as though this court um likes to defer to the states I mean we've seen that uh, in the overturning of roe v Wade we saw it uh, in other cases where uh, this court uh, likes to minimize federal intervention in the affairs of the states is there yes. which would seem to indicate that they would be predisposed to uh, uh, to that argument that you were that you were saying but is there a middle ground that they could find uh, in that particular case that would not go to the extreme.
2: Yeah. Um, just a, a little bit of background on this. President Trump did file a lawsuit previously asking the court to apply this doctrine. They didn't take the case. So they've already, they shown they showed once that, you know, they're worried mm. about the theory, mm-hmm. but, but also though, is kind of what we discussed yesterday. I mean, uh, d- 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 judges, um, uh, don't, no one likes to give up power. So th- if they rule this way, uh, they're giving up power. The judges yeah. are, gi- are given up power. So I think if, if they just want to make sure that everything is subject to judicial review, they're going to reject the theory. If they want to defer to the states, as you suggest, uh, they might, because that's another Republican principle uh they'll adopt the theory
0: yeah uh, the
2: ground. i don't
0: yeah that will be very interesting to see so again uh some very consequential cases uh, maybe not as headline grabbing uh as last term but very very consequential cases uh for the future and uh, those are just a handful of examples i do want to ask you really quickly this will be uh the first term for the newest supreme court justice katanji brown jackson um what does she bring to the table obviously not not changing the philosophical makeup of the court at all but what in your view does she bring to the table that uh you know might uh have some sort of influence on the uh, court
2: well uh, interesting enough one of my students in the legal history seminar she's writing her uh seminar paper on on the six women that have been on the supreme court and mm-hmm. obviously one of the six yeah, it's now Justice uh, Jackson, and so I'll be interested to see what she says. But in terms of what I think, I mean, two things jump out at me. One, uh, she's the first uh, public defender to serve on the court, so that's new, um, and that you know that's a, that's an important experience to have and to bring to the table. Another one, obviously, is that she's the first Black woman on the court. Right. You no, know, ju- uh, uh, President Biden committed to uh, appointing or nominating a black woman so the three finalists were black women and and she was the one that he picked and she got confirmed so she you know brings that to table those kind of experiences so those are the two Big things. I think. do
0: you think? Do you think that will that her? I mean, obviously, you know, she's going to bring uh, different points of view, different experiences, uh, maybe different logic or different arguments uh, to those uh, private conversations between the uh, justices as they're contemplating cases and and so on. Um, do you think that uh, that those that her input will be pers? Will- be enough to persuade uh, other members of the court to uh, seeing different points of view that they haven't seen? I mean, how open will those other justices be to uh, her input? Again, it's not changing the philosophical makeup of the court, but I'm wondering, uh, could she move the court's uh,
2: needle at all? Uh, well, that's almost a psychology question. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, True. I, I mean, people that get to... Positions that important have mm-hmm. very strong egos and senses of self and all that. But that said, um, they're also colleagues, and yeah. so they listen. And so, you know, when you know when I'm on a committee or something like that, and people say things right. that didn't occur to me, I think about it. And yeah. sometimes they persuade me, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think for sure they're going to listen to her.
0: Yeah,
2: when they listen to Thurgood Marshall. He was the first. African-American appointed to the court, and so they knew he had different experiences. And so when he spoke on discrimination, the biography show, they listened to what he had to say. They didn't always vote the way he wanted them to. Right. But they heard him out. So I, I, I think it would be similar.
0: Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. And and when we see some of the uh, decisions on cases uh, moving forward uh, to maybe analyze a little bit what that influence may have been, again, because uh, she brings so mon- many of those different experiences uh, to the court that uh, the Supreme Court has not had uh, previously. Again, uh, Dr. Scott Gerber with us, uh, professor of the Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law and Associated Scholar of the Brown University Political Theory Project, talking about the upcoming Supreme Court term, which will be very significant, as it always is. Scott, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Once again, we appreciate it.
2: You're welcome, Chris.
3: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
2: Today's
0: update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. (laughs) Thomas Barnes of North Carolina has some splaining to do. Uh, he tried to uh, dispute a $70 charge uh, from his uh, television provider, uh, claiming that his dog accidentally ordered some adult programming on uh, DirecTV. <laughs> is, my dog did it. <laughs> this is the adult version of the dog ate my homework. In this case, the uh, dog ordered the porn. Um Marino is a Binchon Frieze who made the purchase, allegedly, after uh, Thomas said uh, the dog hopped on the bed and accidentally hit a button on the remote that ordered the adult channel. (laughs) Pay-per-view. Mr. Barnes called DirecTV to inform them of the accident, but they weren't buying it. (laughs) And he was charged anyway. <laughs> Apparently they thought he was just uh he was just making it up to get out of pay. Uh he responded, Mr. Barnes did, by paying the full amount of his bill minus the seventy dollar charge for the uh adult material that he claims his uh, dog accidentally ordered. Uh this turned into a huge dispute with uh With DirecTV until uh, Mr. Barnes uh, called the Federal Communications Commission, got the FCC to intervene on his behalf. And uh, DirecTV uh, finally relented uh, and uh, dismissed the charge. (laughs) I'm just thinking, can you imagine being the customer service representative on the other end of the line of that call? I swear I did not order this uh, adult content, these uh, naughty movies—it's my dog that, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, it's your dog, sure it is. <laughs> but they've got it all resolved now. Uh, let's see what else is going on in the uh, broken news. Cattle ranchers in West Texas are strapping Fitbits on their cows. <laughs> the uh, fitness trackers apparently keep track of the movements of the herd at a time when the industry is facing a labor shortage uh they don't have as many uh cattle wranglers out there to keep track of the uh of the uh herd and so they're <laughs> using technology <laughs> putting fitbits on their cows Uh, Instead of uh, wrapping the devices around their hooves, though, they are worn as ear tags and collars. Uh, The high-tech trackers are not actually Fitbits per se. They are specialized devices manufactured by Micro Technologies of Amarillo and can also alert ranchers if their cattle may be getting sick. So there's that benefit uh, as well. uh, Pretty amazing. I think that's a, a great idea. Kudos to whoever came up with the idea of Fitbits for cows. <laughs> Fitbits for cows. <clears throat> Next thing you know, they'll be uh, figuring out uh, treadmills and have whole exercise clubs for bovines. <laughs> A Virginia mom is demanding an apology after she says she was mistakenly detained by police. Jamie Kimball says she was just minding her own business driving to Walmart last weekend with her two children in tow when a Fairfax County police officer rammed her vehicle to get her to stop, jumped out, pointed the uh, apparently the officers pointed their guns at her. Uh, forced her out of the car and put her in handcuffs. Can can you imagine? You're just out running some errands, and uh, suddenly the police are all over you I and mean, ramming your vehicle, ordering you out of the vehicle at gunpoint, putting you in handcuffs. Can you imagine the uh, the kids and what they're thinking. She posted a video online revealing that uh, Fairfax County police actually stopped the wrong person it was a case of mistaken identity and the police actually confirmed that that was indeed the case uh, she is now asking for the officer who struck her car to be fired she is set to uh, meet with uh, department officials later today <laughs> yikes yikes Hmm. scary uh let's see this is another... So what is going on at Cedar Point? This is another story of a couple getting a little too friendly at the theme park. Um, Apparently, this couple is uh, now facing charges after allegedly being caught uh, <clears throat> in the act at the amusement park. Sandusky police say it happened on Friday night while the couple was in line near the Freak Show attraction, the park's Halloween's event. How appropriate that they should be getting freaky in the line for the Freak Show. The uh, charges against them are being upgraded to a felony because those who witnessed the uh, apparent act, the alleged act, some of the witnesses are under the age of 18. So now they're in big trouble. It is the second time. In about a month and a half that uh, people have been charged for uh, getting busy with it, if you know what I mean, at the park. What is going on at Cedar Point? It is crazy. Uh, There's a new uh, fancy restaurant in San Francisco, but if you are thinking of visiting and making reservations, uh, it's not for you. It's for your dogs. Yes, that's right. Uh, The new fine dining establishment has literally gone to the dogs. The menu at Doug, Dog, uh, spelled like dog with a U-E at the end to make it seem chic. D-O-G-U-E, Doug. Uh, the menu includes elegant pastries during the day and fine dining at night. Pet parents can pay 75 bucks a pop to let their furry friends enjoy a three-course tasting menu on Sundays, including chicken mushroom soup. The owner and head chef says he uses only fresh dog food with ingredients like wild antelope and duck. (laughs) Those are people who have just too much money. You know how expensive it is to live in San Francisco? Well, those people who live in San Francisco apparently have money to burn, so why not? And finally, in the broken news this morning, Tracy Teagan was uh, recovering from a bad breakup. And she decided to put her uh, bad experience to good use. She has created a website that has been dubbed TripAdvisor for Exes. This is where ladies will leave reviews of their ex on the ex-boyfriend list. And most of them are not flattering as a warning to other individuals who those guys are now trying to attract. Uh, Ms. Tegan is the senior editor at Girl Power Girl Strong, an online women's empowerment platform who created the list, the ex-boyfriend list, after having her own heart broken by a cheating ex. Some of the reviews discuss regular relationship woes, but... Many of the others reveal problematic and even manipulative behavior, warning readers against potential future relationships. She says, we all go through that bad breakup and we just need a space to share our feelings. And that's what she did. It has become the trip advisor for exes. If you dare, you can look up your boyfriend or your ex or create an entry for your ex at exboyfriendlist.com. Com. There you go. I, th- I actually think it's not a bad idea. We need an ex-girlfriend list, too. Uh, an ex-wife list, an ex-husband uh, list, you know, this list for exes. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming.
1: This is with OSU Extension. It's harvest season. Drivers will be sharing roads with combines and grain hauling vehicles. Please be alert, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this fall to keep our roads safe and accident-free.
3: This message from WFIN
2: and 95.5 FM.
0: Now your daily download the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, Here are some numbers that you will appreciate if you are like most people, one of those uh, folks that at at work hates uh, that you have so many meetings, so many staff meetings, so many. Yeah, Uh, according to a recent study by the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, UNC Charlotte, large companies, they say, could save as much as one hundred million dollars per year by holding fewer unnecessary meetings and cutting down on the invite lists for the meetings they do have. A common refrain among uh, workers who were polled as part of this report was that they are pulled into too many time-wasting gatherings, which leads to boredom and frustration, and employees say the squandered time in meetings interfered with their ability to complete more productive work in a timely manner. Overall, companies spend a total of $37 billion per year, $37 billion per year on meetings, as according to the Harvard Business Review. So there you go. The next time your boss wants to call in a big meeting, you can throw those numbers at him uh, and and maybe... maybe you can get out of that that big meeting that you didn't want to go to anyway. You're welcome. October, of course, means Halloween. Everybody gets excited about that and uh, plenty of spooky happenings uh, at the Hancock Historical Museum uh, during the uh, month of October. Sarah Sisser is here, and there is this rumor that the uh, museum itself is haunted. Yeah, we've heard
4: that. I've heard that. (laughs) Um, Actually those of us that have been at the museum for a while, we all sort of have our own stories about some interesting Uh uh, things that have happened. We have had two paranormal investigations, uh, in the time that I've been at the museum in the last 10 years, Mm -hmm. um, and they do get a lot of activity, whatever that means, uh, in the attic of the Hall House. Now,
0: when you say paranormal investigations, you're not like calling in the Ghostbusters here, right? Not That's exactly the Ghostbusters, not-
4: but these are people with a lot of instruments that don't mm-hmm. make a lot of sense to me. They do take this very seriously. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and so it was sort of an organized effort to have these these folks come through the museum. It was it was interesting. It was fun to kind of play up, but again, they say mm-hmm. they get activity in the attic. Um, we've We've all sort of, as the museum, had some interesting experiences. So.
0: Yeah. Um, and I suppose it's not uh, all that surprising. I mean, especially for older homes, and the uh, Hull House is a, a historic home. I mean, yep. a lot of history there. Yep. And a lot of those uh, history, a uh, lot of that history of, of houses like that have legends that go along with them and some unexplained phenomena. They absolutely
4: so. do. And a lot of those homes, uh, you know, when you. When a home has been standing for 150 or so years, mm-hmm. uh, it's more than likely that somebody has died in the house, and right. so there are legends that go around that. Mm-hmm. So yes, this time of year, we do kind of play it up at the hall house. We've been busy the last couple of days decorating uh, for the holiday, for the Halloween holiday, and... Um, Yeah, I think if we have spirits in the Hall House, they are likely benevolent spirits because we haven't had any um, really negative interactions.
0: Nobody has been chased off or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It seems like the spirits that are there approve of what you were doing. <laughs> I so, hope
4: that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so a couple of, but in seizing on that theme, a couple of things that are happening. First of all, uh, tomorrow you've got the uh, brown bag lunch uh, lecture and this is kind of, this is kind of fun.
4: Yeah, this is fun. This is um, Joy Bennett, our curator and archivist. She's also the facilitator of our uh, monthly classic movie night. Mm-hmm. She's going to be talking about the sci-fi films of the 1950s. So we all know them and may or may not love them, but yeah. you know, they're kind of cheesy uh, right. by today's standards, but the it's definitely a whole genre and it's kind of interesting to look at some of the themes of some of those movies are actually still pretty relevant Mm -hmm. and depending on how deep you sort of dive into the content of those movies they are pretty creepy yeah so um we're going to be talking about that and and again we'll have some fun with that uh on on thursday
0: you know what's interesting is that that uh era of those sci-fi movies some of them as they all are by today's standards, very cheesy and low budget and so on, but for the time, they were pretty some of them were pretty groundbreaking, yeah. some of them were deliberately cheesy yeah. yeah uh but then there were others that were pretty groundbreaking for their time, so
4: yeah, and terrifying for their time, yeah too.
0: absolutely and it's no coincidence that many of those have been remade uh in the modern era, yeah. so yeah. a lot to talk about uh there it is definitely an interesting time in cinematic history, and as you mentioned, that ties into the uh Uh, classic movie night night. yeah Yeah.
4: yep and so this month we typically do classic movie night the third friday of each month we have some uh, different things going on with our schedule this month. So it'll be uh, the second Friday, the 14th. Okay. Um, And we always start the movie at 7 o'clock. It's free and open to the public. This month, again, fitting with our theme, um, we're doing Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So <laughs> if you have not seen this one, you definitely have to come out and watch and uh, get you in the, in the Halloween spirit. Yeah,
0: again, one of them that has been remade. Uh, definitely a, a 50s classic. And um, now I... I'm suddenly regretting that we brought up all of the spirits of the house because this is uh, at, uh, at night. Yeah, at uh, night at the
4: Historical yeah, Museum. Just but,
0: saying. But Who like knows? I said, I
4: think they're benevolent uh, if they're there. So... Um, yeah, again, it's it's a fun okay. date night to kind of get you in the Halloween spirit. Yeah. So uh, we provide refreshments, and we also provide some fun historical content. So um, whether or not you're able to make it to our brown bag lecture tomorrow, uh, you will get some of that background about 1950s sci-fi if you come to the classic movie night yeah. as well.
0: So you can do both and get the full experience. And then later in the month, uh, again, keeping with the Halloween theme, you have the uh, annual spooktacular at the museum.
4: We do, and this has become one of our favorite events at the museum. It's really... a oriented or directed for our our families and children. We have a ton of fun activities, seasonal activities for the kids. Um, It is just $1 admission and all of our facilities at our main campus will be open. Um, We have pumpkin decorating, cookie decorating. We have um, a free children's book, Halloween children's book, for the first uh, 150 kids that arrive at the museum, um, we always get a big turnout for this event. We encourage you to come out in costume and you'll get a little prize if you come in costume. And you will be able to see that haunted hall house uh, decorated for Halloween as well. You know,
0: Halloween is uh, more than many holidays uh, a great tie in to learning about history because I mean you don't have the spooky stories are all about you know historical. The past. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. So, and we've done some fun things throughout the years, um, touching on some of our local uh ghost stories. And um another fun thing that we do each year is sort of a vote for the creepiest doll, vintage doll that we have in our collections at the museum. So it does, does definitely play creepy. to our strengths. I think they're <laughs> all creepy. I totally agree with but, you, Chris. I don't uh, like to walk through the whole house at night looking at those dolls looking at me either
0: (laughs) would it be fair to say that you know maybe some uh, especially young people are introduced to you know the the concept of learning about history through some of those halloween stories of the past yeah
4: i actually think that's a really good point um and it's one of the first questions we get when some of the school groups, the younger kids come through the sure. whole house. Is the house haunted? Yeah, um, And so, yeah, I think that's a good point. That that really probably does help to engage a younger audience in learning a little bit more about history. So certainly this is a good month for us to do that.
0: Absolutely. So, again, uh, the Brown Bag Lunch Lecture is tomorrow. A special uh, day for the Classic Movie Night this month. On
4: the 14th, that's okay. right, at 7 o'clock. Um, don't need reservations for that. Come out and enjoy. Free and open to the public. And then Spooktacular is the 22nd, and that'll go from 5 to 8 p.m. Also don't need reservations for that, just a dollar admission, but we do get a big crowd.
0: An awful lot of fun. And uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more on all of those. Happenings at the Hancock Historical Museum. Sarah Sisser, thanks very much for dropping by. Thanks, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for a daily email newsletter. Shoot us an email if there's something you want to share directly. It's all right there at goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll Catch you back here tomorrow.